Well, as I said, uh, today is Stand Up Sunday. It's a Sunday where we want to uh, highlight and uh, bring attention to what the Lord has called us to do and be as a church. In James chapter 1, verse 26, he talks about how true religion is this, to look after widows and orphans. So this Sunday, we've set aside to uh, make sure that we uh, highlight and draw attention to vulnerable children. Uh, we also, as a church, want to bring you uh, to the forefront of your mind this ministry that we have here of adoption, uh, care, and foster care. And in the back, uh, before you leave, there is a, a table set up if you want to learn more about opportunities that we're stepping into as a church uh, to make sure that we are, are caring for vulnerable children. In just a moment, we're going to pray uh, together, and I'm going to ask uh, uh, people to stand who fall into one or, or, or a few of these categories. One, uh, perhaps you um, have ado adoption children or you have been a foster parent before. Uh, two, perhaps you've been adopted or you uh, have been in foster care before. Uh, three, perhaps you desire to adopt and, uh, and want to be a foster parent or, uh, uh, or I lost count. Five, uh, perhaps uh, you have faithfully given to uh, adoption ministry or, or foster ministry. We just want to pray for you. We want to pray with you. Um, uh, we want to pray that the Lord continue to keep you and sustain you as you seek to, to care in this way. So feel no pressure, uh, but if you feel uh, uh, comfortable, please stand up and let us pray for you and let us acknowledge you. Amen. Well, let's pray for you and, uh, and let's touch and agree together and pray for today's sermon. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness and your kindness towards us. I thank you for these, your children who are standing, uh, uh, perhaps uh, for, for one or more in these categories. So we pray, Lord, that you would continue to encourage them and strengthen them as they uh, minister to uh, beautiful children um, who are created in your image, um, who, are, uh, uh, who have been adopted or uh, have, have been in foster care. I pray, Father God, that you will come around them and encourage them. I pray that today's sermon uh, would continue to ignite a, a fire in them and that they will find encouragement on their journey. I also pray for us as a congregation, as we have Stand Up Sunday, as we highlight vulnerable children, that you allow us as a church, as a congregation, to not just have this as a day, but to allow this to be a part of our ministry, to be a part of our life, as the prophet Isaiah has said, that, that, uh, that you are a father to the fatherless, Lord, that you are a father to the orphan and help us to do the same. Help us to speak up for those who, um, who are vulnerable and help us, Lord, to, to be your hands and feet as you have called us to be. Thank you for adopting us into your family. Thank you for allowing us to be your children. You are truly good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Today has been an exciting day as we have uh, got to share uh, in, uh, in, in, in these stories as well as talk about adoption. And in today's text, in Galatians chapter 3, 27 through chapter 4, verse 7, that's the topic. It's, it's adoption. It's adoption, but specifically it's about uh, uh, what it looks like for a person to be adopted into God's family, what it looks like for a person to be brought in uh, to his family. And this is something that we call theologically, it's a word called sonship, uh, sonship. In verse number five, uh, 
Paul writes, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. In the Greek, that phrase, adoption of sons, is actually one word, and it's the word sonship, so that we would come into the family of God. And so today we're going to talk about um, what does it mean uh, to to be uh, welcomed into the family of God? How does that happen and why does it matter? Now, for many of us, we know this and we've heard this. We've heard that we've been adopted into God's family, and that's great. And we, we see this from a theological perspective of what it means to be in God's family. But today I want to encourage you uh, to not just rest in this objective truths, to not just rest in this theological construct or this theological um, idea, which is truth and which is beautiful, which is laid out before us. But I want to show you that adoption and our adoption is more than a theological concept. Our adoption is also experiential. And when we truly meditate on and when we truly walk into, step into our sonship, that it is an experience. It's an experience that causes us to have joy. It's also an experience that causes us to respond. It causes us to respond in very specific ways. It causes us to embrace. It causes us to trust. It causes us to adopt others, and it causes us to receive from God. So let's look at this text in light of our sonship and to see how these truths, these biblical truths, lead us to joy, which lead us to passionately live out uh, of our identity. So there's four things that we see on, on your bulletin. These four words, brace and trust, adopt and receive. And I want you to see how this text applies and causes us to do so. The first we see is embrace, embrace. And it says, embrace God's diverse family, free from a culture of dominance. When When adoption becomes more than a theological construct, when adoption becomes more than just objective truths, things that we believe, we can embrace the fact that God has welcomed us into his family and his family is like no other family. His family is absolutely amazing. And this is what Paul is getting to in verse 27 and 28. He says, for those of you who were baptized in Christ, you have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ. Now, remember what Paul is addressing to the churches of Galatia, all right? There's beef. There's some issues that's going on. And the beef or the issues that's going on is that there are troublemakers who are coming into these churches that Paul helped start And they're saying, yo, to truly be right with God, to truly be in right standing with God, you have to do something. Now, one group was saying that, yes, it's Jesus, believe in Jesus, but it's also obey the law. It's also be circumcised. It's also eat uh, uh, according to the Mosaic law. Now, there was another group that wasn't a part of the church that was even more radical. They said there's only one way to be right with God, and that is by observance of the law. So Paul is like, he's like, let's blow all that up and forget all that they're saying because it's not true. To be right with God is to believe in Christ Jesus by faith. It's to be justified. It's to be declared righteous. And this is a gift from God. And so we see that Paul is really addressing that. That's what he's doing in verses one through uh, uh, chapter four, verses one through three. He's going to use this illustration of a child who has a guardian. Okay, 
And this guardian, he says, represents the law. And he says, we're all like that child who has this guardian, right? The law was good. The law was a custodian. The law is a teacher, right? But ultimately, the law can't save us. So Paul is saying, he's saying, and so what God did is he gave Israel this law in which we all are born under to reveal his heart to Israel, but also to reveal their heart so that they could see that they cannot keep the law. No matter how hard they tried, they would fall short. And so what Paul is saying is that this law was like a guardian. It kind of kept us in place or in check until the fullness of time had come, until Jesus Christ had come. And when Christ came, It was abundantly clear that salvation is by faith, not works of the law, but faith in a particular person, Jesus Christ. So this is what Paul is saying. And I get so excited because verse 27 through 29 is absolutely amazing because this is what he's saying. He's saying, if you truly believe that you're going to embrace God's family and you're going to see how amazing his family is. Verse 27, for those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. He says, a, a, a sign of you being an heir of the covenant. You know, a sign of you being in the family of God is, is not circumcision. He's saying, no, the sign of you being an heir of God in the family of God is belief in Christ and is those who have been baptized into him. To be baptized means to be submerged. And it uh, points to this, this symbol that we receive as Christians. When God comes into our heart, When God makes us alive, when God causes us to love him, we are then baptized. We've baptized already today four people. We have one more who's going to be baptized this evening. And this is a symbol to the world that declares, that declares that we have been made right with God through Christ Jesus. And Paul is saying, listen, those who are baptized are baptized into something. What are they baptized into? Not works of the law. They're baptized into Christ. Just like a baby when he's born is swaddled by clothes. The moment one is born again, they are swaddled by Christ. They are hidden in Christ. Just like your eye is in your socket. You are, if you're a Christian, in Christ Jesus. He now defines you. He now is the most important thing about you. He now controls you. And he says, listen, this is what happens in the church. The church is radically different than any other organization in the world. It is a living organism. It is a living organism that blows up distinctions, that blows up dominant distinctions. Look at this, verse 28. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. What is Paul doing here? He's saying once you become a part of God's, fa- God's family, um, you are all God's favorite. He says to the Jewish person who believes that because they were the original recipients of the faith in Abraham's seed, he says, guess what? That Gentile brother or sister in Christ, they are on equal footings with you. And even though they were not born into the law or to this Jewish heritage, They are just as much a child of Abraham as you. Why? Because of the the work that Jesus did on the cross. He says to that slave 
That person who is still under the, 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 the uh, teaching of a, of a master or uh, a servant to a master, he says, in God's eyes, that person who is free, that person who is in a different social economic stat- stratosphere is not more and more favor with God. He says to the women of our congregation, God is not looking at men as if they're more blessed. It's not better to be born a male. He says, no, in Christ, we are all one. We all are God's favorite. This is a radical message for first century Judaism. This is a a radical message for those who were born in Rome in the first century because there was a huge hierarchical system. And even within, a, the, within uh, Judaism, there was this huge hierarchical system. And God is saying, no, in Christ, all that is blown up. Now, here's not what God is saying. God is not saying that your ethnic, social, or, 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 or gender that you've uh, been born with does not matter. That's not what he's saying. These things, distinctions matter. In fact, we've talked about in this series how they're actually beautiful. God doesn't call us to like not love how he's made us, but he's called us to see that whatever status or situation we're in, it is subordinate to the fact that we are in Christ. And so when we, when we step into this as a church, as the people of God, the world should be able to look in and say, this is, this is different. Men and women, the way they treat each other, the way men honor women is amazing. But this also doesn't just blow up roles. God has given roles in the church. God has given distinct ways in which people are to free is saying that there is no favorites. There are no favorites. And we want to embrace that. Second, the doctrine of of adoption uh, should, should cause us to trust the Lord. Not only should it cause us to embrace the church, and one of the reasons I'm just so excited about what God is doing here at Sojourn Midtown, uh, we have believers from all stripes of life doing ministry together. It's beautiful. We want to embrace that. We want to lean more into that. So that's one of the reasons I'm excited about uh, Sojourn Carlisle, the church that we're starting. It's in an amazing community, South Louisville, where there are people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. The church that we're starting uh, right now, they have 50 uh, adults who are mostly uh, uh, over the age of 50. And I'm excited to start a church where we have some younger adults come and be a part of. We could be a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church that puts their foot on the throat of Satan and says, look at what God has birthed through his spirit. The second thing this text calls us to do as those who are adopted into God's family is to trust God. It's to trust God's sovereignty over history and the particulars of your life. Listen, as an heir of God, as an heir of God who has been adopted into God's family, you have been saved in the most extraordinary way. You have been adopted and brought into God's family in a miraculous way. And the way in which you have been adopted into God's family is through the work of a triune God. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all participated in you coming to Christ, and they are all participating in your sanctification or growing up in Christ. As an heir of the kingdom, you have the Godhead on your side, working out the particulars and the specifics, not only of your salvation, but of your life. Now, I'm going to get real geeky here and real excited because this doctrine is so beautiful and so clear in this text, it just makes me want to slap myself. So in the Bible, we don't see the word Trinity, but throughout the scripture, this is a, a beautiful concept. When we say the Trinity, it is a reality of this. And stay with me. If you've never heard it, 
You can write down these three things. This doctrine is built on, number one, that God is one. There is one God. There is one God. We see this all the way in the Old Testament. God is affirming that there is one God. Okay? But God is three persons. One God, three persons. Third, each person is fully God. Like, what? Well, that is the Christian doctrine of the Trinity. There is one God. We don't worship three separate gods. There is one God. God is three persons. They share uh, equality of nature and substance. They're made of the same divine goodness. And each person is fully God. The Son is equally God with the Father. The Spirit is equally God as the Father and the Son in, in all different ways. That's what the Bible teaches. And listen, this triune God has worked to bring you into his family to save you. Look at this. Look at your Bibles. You say, where do you see that at? Well, I'm glad you asked. Verse 4. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now, notice what happens here. You see, God did something. He sent his son. In verse 6, you see, God sent the spirit of his son. God's role in your adoption is primarily that he has sent. He has sent uh, the son and the spirit to save you. Why has God, the Father, sent the Son and the Spirit? Because he is a loving God who set his affections on you before the foundations of the earth, who set his affections on you despite you. The Bible says in Romans 5 that while you were still a sinner, while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. God loves you. This God who has adopted you into his family is a God of love. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. What did he give? His only begotten son. And part of you going from uh, seeing God from just a, a, a set of objective truths to an experiential truth, to an intimacy, to walking closely with him, is you seeing that this God who brought you into his family is a God who is crazy about you, is a God who doesn't have favorites, who is God said, you all are my favorite because you all are in Christ and Christ is my favorite. It's this God who said, I am crazy about you and I love you. And it's not based upon your works or your ability to perform. It's based upon my own goodness and sovereignty and bringing you to myself. Every other religion says that in order to be made right with God, you have to perform. You have to perform. And at the end of your life, if you've done enough good or bad, uh, it depends on, on what's going to happen next to you. Christianity is the only religion that says it's not primarily about your performance. It's about God's performance. It's about what he has done for you. And what has he done for you? He has sent his son. He has sent his son. And then the son's like, okay, the son's role is not, it's, it's, it's to submit, it's to submit and to sacrifice. And look at what the text says, when the fullness of time has, had come, when time had come to its completion, God sent forth his son. What about his son? He was born of a woman. What does it mean he was born of a woman? It means that he was fully human. The son who is eternally God, who is perfectly God in every way, who has always been and who always will be put on human clothes. He wrapped himself in human flesh and he became a man. One theologian said that God becoming a man is like a human being becoming a cockroach. This holy, righteous, 
immutable, unchanging, perfect, compassionate God who can never make a mistake, condescended and put on human clothes. The Bible says he was tempted in every way that we are without sin. I don't want to offend you here, but Jesus farted. Jesus went to the bathroom. Jesus was fully human, yet he was fully God. And he, God, became a man so that you might be redeemed. What does it mean to be redeemed? This word redeemed was a word that was often spoken of as, as, as one who was brought back. It's a picture of a child who is a slave, who is under a, a master's thumb. And there's another person who comes and who buys that child from being under that master's rule pays the price. But not only does he redeem us uh, from slavery, the Bible says he makes us heirs. He makes us sons and daughters of God. He redeems us and then gives us a full inheritance into his family as if we were born into his family. The Bible says when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem those who were under the law. How did he redeem us from being under the law? He redeemed us by living a perfect life that we could not live, by dying the death that we all deserve, by satisfying God's wrath, by substituting himself for us in our place, by taking our wounds, by taking upon our sin and giving us his righteousness. That's not it. It wasn't just what the father did. It wasn't just what the son did. It's as if the spirit was waiting. He said, hold on, let me get a part of this salvation. Let me play a role here in the spirit. Look at what the spirit does, how he adopted us into God's family. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, dearest daddy, dearest father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, softens our hearts, enables us to respond to God's uh, gospel, enables us to cry out, Father, enables us to have faith and to believe. Let me tell you something. The reason that you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, is not because you've got it all together. It's not because you were so smart and your brother or sister just wasn't. They just can't get it. They just can't get right. That's not why you're in faith. It's not because you're so cute. It's not because you're so educated. It's not because you, you figured out the algorithm of life and all of a sudden, oh, you're holy. No, the only reason that you came to faith in Christ is because this gracious God set his affection on you and took a hard heart and replaced it with a soft heart that can respond, Abba, Father. The Spirit not only softens, but the Spirit secures Spirit enables us to trust in the sovereign God over the particulars of our life. The Spirit catches us in moments of doubt and reminds us that we are children of God. Romans chapter 8, 15, the Apostle Paul says this. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. It is the spirit that enables us. Paul is teaching the church at Rome and teaching the church in Galatia. It is the spirit that empowers us to cry out to God, which assures us and, and lets us know that we belong to him. Some of us in here today, 
having a hard time trusting God with the particulars of our lives. We all do. Look at your life. You say, Lord, I, I don't know what to do with my life. I'm at, I, I'm at a place where my life has not turned out the way that I want it to turn out. I don't know which way to go. And we relate to God in a, in, with fear. We're living life in fear. Others of us, we are beating ourselves up constantly over and over, over not measuring up. Perhaps, like, like me, you, you are a father, and you find yourself at that kitchen table at 5 o'clock on most nights trying to teach your kid division, and you want to be more patient with you, but you find yourself over and over like, no, it's two. Two divided by four is two, All right? And you walk away from that kitchen table discouraged. Wishing that you were more patient, wondering if, if God is really indwelling you and, and helping you to mature. Whatever it is you carry, whatever it is you're having a hard time trusting God with, this text reminds us that as adopted sons and daughters, that part of being adopted into the family of God is finding assurance from God. And the way we find assurance from God is that the Holy Spirit often takes us from objective truths to experience. When we find ourselves suffering and wondering and doubting, when we find ourselves wanting to walk away, questioning if we belong to him, the spirit has a way, I'm telling you, of coming in just on, on time, softening our hearts, ministering to us and reminding us that we're his and causing us to cry out, Father. Now, all of the Christian faith is in us experiencing this cry but part of it is. And we don't base our Christian faith on our experience. No, we base our Christian faith on this, these, uh, 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 these truths, these objective truths that Christ died for sinners and that he saves those who place his faith in us. But part of being a Christian is experiencing the Holy Spirit making us intimate with the Father. And so, this doctrine of sonship should call us to trust God's sovereignty over history. The text says, when the fullness of time had come. When the fullness of, that's a word right there for you. As you learn as sons and daughters to trust the father, that sometimes the father takes time. Uh, Israel would have certainly been wondering, is God still for them as they were under Roman oppression? As it seems that God had not spoken for over 400 years from the Old Testament to the New Testament, there's a 400-year gap where there is no word from heaven. But the Bible says when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. And as a son or daughter in Christ, may you know that when the fullness of time comes, God will give you a word. When the fullness of time has come, God will give you the contentment you need. When the fullness of time has come, God will restore what the devil has stolen. When the fullness of time has come, God will intervene. And how do I know that God will intervene and that he will not abandon me? Because this God who saved me is also the God who promised to sustain me. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Third, this text calls us to adopt being a, a daughter or son of God, being one who has been saved by this triune God, being one who has been snatched from darkness into his marvelous light, being one who has been drawn to the light through the spirit, 
Being one who recognizes that I once was lost and now I'm found, was blind and now I see, I once was dead, but he made me alive with Christ Jesus. It should propel me. It should propel me to respond to God's generosity through generosity. There should be no such thing as a habitual, stangy Christian. There should be no such thing as a Christian who spends their entire life self-focused and never making sacrifices. No, the spirit who is living on the inside of us should be convicting us and shaping us and drawing us to have God's heart conforming us to Christ's image, giving us a heart that cares about the vulnerable and the least of these. Understanding that we are not saved based upon our works and we don't deserve in our own strength this great salvation that we received should call us to reach out. Do you know the promises that God has made to you? Do we understand this inheritance that we have that is stored up in heavenly places? Do we understand this access that we have to God, the father, the creator of the universe, that we can go before him boldly to the throne of grace? Like, like, like if we understand what God has stored up for us, you know what the Bible says he has stored up for you? Jesus said in John chapter 14, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. In my father's house are many mansions. Jesus told us that, 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 that he has made a place for us where there is no more, no more crying, no more tears, no more arthritis, no more sickle cell, no more cancer. Jesus said that this place that, that he has for us, the S-U-N refuses to shine because the S-O-N is shining all the time. Jesus said, the place that I have prepared for you, listen, it's got, got, got 12 gates into the city, and this city is paved with streets of gold. Gold. Jesus said, gold. That just shows how, how gold is like concrete to us, to God. Do, if, if we understood the, the future that God has prepared for us, that enables us to get our eyes off of our belly and off of the temporary things that are in this life and to give ourselves to a greater mission, knowing that God is going to quench every desire and give us more than we ever imagined. No eye have seen, Paul says. No ear has even heard. Neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for his people. Oh, and when we meditate on those truths, we can look up to the hills from which are come our help. We can move into mission, into ministry. We can set our eyes on those who are vulnerable and who are lost. And we can spend ourselves for the gospel knowing that what God has prepared for us, we won't miss nothing in this world. Taking a, a vulnerable child into our home, perhaps disturbing uh, some, some of our, our comfort or or years or losing out on a vacation or two a year in order to provide for someone in light of eternity, <laughs> in light of what God has prepared for us. Mm -mm. Helping someone to adopt who doesn't have the funds if we don't feel the call to it should, should, should find its motivation in the fact that God has sacrificed for us and has laid up for us a future that is the Bible says we will one day rule, rule kingdoms. I don't even know what that means. I'm just like, mm. Mm. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that's an animal kingdom or what, but I just, mm. 
Listen, as an heir of the king, God's got you. He's got you, he says, and he tells you this to free you up now. To Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. We've got young families here who, and, and, and people who want to adopt people and uh, kids into their homes who can't afford it. And we have people here who have more than enough means to help them to do so. And as a church, as we meditate on our adoption, I pray that that will compel us to say, Lord, I'll give. Fourth, this text causes us to receive. Being adopted into God's family is an invitation for us to receive all that the good father has for us. All that the good father has for us. Look at your, your Bibles. Verse five, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive the adoption of sons part of being adopted into God's family is us just receiving all that God has for us as his children. Verse seven, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir, an heir to his kingdom. Listen, God's invitation to you tonight, perhaps is to go from just theologically understanding that you're a part of his family to to experiencing his fatherness. Yo, to receiving the fact that he's a father. And for some of us, that's really hard because our picture of a father is a distorted and a broken picture. Perhaps because your father left you with deep wounds. All fathers leave their kids with wounds. It's not a matter of if I'm going to leave my son or my daughters with wounds. It's what kind. Why? Because we're all sinners. But some of us, we have deep wounds because perhaps our father was not present in our lives or did not show up when we need them or we're, we're cruel. And when I say receive from the father is so hard for you because you perhaps don't have a human picture of what that looks like. I want you to know that God wants wants you to see that that your father's face is not his face, that he is not like man. He shall not lie. He will not abandon you. He will always be there for you. Receive from him. For others of us, we have a hard time receiving from God the Father because we just can't believe that this God who created the universe, this God who calls us to, to himself to save us, that he could actually, like, he could actually love me. That he, he could actually be crazy about me. That every day he could actually sing over me. He he actually forgives me. He's not in heaven upset with me. You're like, Pastor Jamal, I hear you say that all the time, and I just have the hardest time believing that because you, if you knew me, if you if you knew what was up here, if you knew the doubt, if you knew the, the fear, if you knew the anxiety, if you you if you knew my imagination, if you knew my, my, my fantasy, if you knew my darkest thoughts, you wouldn't say so easily that he loves me. And I want you to hear that this is the scandal of the Bible. This is a scandal of the Christian story. This is a scandal of what we know. This is what grace is. It's God's unmerited, undeserved, radical favor towards you. He says, I love you. I love you. 
And on your worst day, I don't treat you as a slave. I treat you as a son or a daughter. Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a story, and the Bible says that the reason he tells the story is because there are some Pharisees, some religious leaders who like the troublemakers similar in Galatia who is distorting those who are disciples or would-be disciples, preaching the opposite of what Jesus is preaching. Jesus is preaching grace and repentance and forgiveness, and they're preaching law and bondage. So Jesus tells a little story about a, a son who leaves his father. And a lot of times we miss the point of the story. The point of the story is actually a point of sonship. He says, the son leaves his father, disrespects his father, says, give me all my inheritance, which is disrespectful. You don't ask for your inheritance that day and age without the father being dead. He says, in essence, I wish you were dead. Give me what's mine. He goes out. He spends all of his money, wasted, hits rock bottom, comes to himself while he's eating pig's food and says, at least in my father's house, there was food. My father, uh, at least he served food to his slaves. So he comes back home, sets his affection to come back home. And let's look at what Luke 15 says. The son comes to the father and he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. That's what the son was saying to himself. And this is what the father did. The Bible says that he ran. He threw his arms around his neck, his son's neck, and he kissed him. The son had disrespected him. And the father was there with open arms. He runs towards him. In that day and age, a man running would would have brought shame on his family. He runs to his son. He gives him a neck hug. Have you ever given somebody a neck hug? You just love them and miss them so much. You just hug their neck. Come here, give me a neck hug. And he kissed them. Have you never had a neck hug? Come to me after service. You're God. No, I won't. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I'm joking. I will not give you a neck hug. I love you. We tight, but not that tight. Gives him a neck hug. This person who has abandoned him, who's disrespected him, who would have brought shame on his family and his family's name, he gives him a neck hug and he kisses him. Today, no matter who you are, if you are in Christ, no matter what you've done, God said, I've got a neck hug for you. I've got a kiss for you. You belong to me. You're no longer a slave. You're a son. And whatever it is that, that makes you think that you're a slave, you give that to me. You allow my spirit to work in you. You apply those biblical principles. You confess that sin. Know that I'm faithful and just to forgive you. You confess that sin to a brother or sister in Christ who is walking uh, with me and allow them to, to, to help you so that you can receive healing. You know that that thing that you're ashamed of that is allowing you to think that you don't belong to me would never separate me from you. This is the gospel. This is sonship. This is what it means to be an heir. And every Sunday we celebrate this radical love, this radical grace by taking a meal together called communion. It's a meal that reminds us every time we come together that we are a part of God's family and we eat together as a family. And the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. Listen to these words. He says, this is my body 
broken for you. Every time you take communion, you're remembering that God loves you. And the way we know that God loves you is the God of this universe sent his son. And his son, who is fully God, came and put on human clothes and allowed his body, just like this bread, to be broken for you. He says, I'll take the shame. I'll run to you. You can't work your way up to heaven, but I'll, I'll, I'll work my way down to you. And we drink wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine. This represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. Here at Sojourn, we take a piece of bread. We dip it in wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. And we do this every week to remind ourselves of God's rich love for us. If you're not a Christian and you have questions, I am so glad that you're here uh, today. And, and I pray that today's sermon helps you to get a, a better insight on what, uh, what, what the Bible teaches about Christianity. If you have any questions, we would love to talk to you. We'll have some people right over here uh, as communion is going on and after the service who can connect you to help you take a next step to learning about Jesus. We do ask you not to eat this meal as this meal is uh, specifically reserved for those who've placed their faith and trust in Christ. But we long to have this meal with you uh, to be able to, to eat with you. Those of you in the front, you can come to the front. Those in the back, go to the back. Gluten-free communion is over to my left. Let's pray.